Hello everyone and welcome back to the Earth Bodies podcast. I'm Katie, one of the founding members of Earth Bodies. If this is your first time here, it's great to meet you. We are a group of five female artists based in Bristol who are passionate about demystifying the art world and initiating new conversations based on our own experiences. If you've tuned in before, welcome back and thanks so much for being here. Today's episode will feature two of our other founding members. Hello, I'm Esme and you can find me on Instagram at etartfart. Hello, I'm Rosa and you can find my artwork at rosabrown.art on Instagram. Today is the first part of two episodes discussing sustainability in the art world and wider society. This episode will focus on how the art world isn't environmentally sustainable, discussing harmful materials and the overall system in the art world, as well as exploring some potential alternatives. We believe this is a really important topic that is not being talked about enough. It's only really beginning to be considered since the global pandemic started earlier this year. Now, let's get into the episode. So let's start off by talking about the common materials used in art practice and why they are actually damaging to the planet and the people. During my research, I found that oils and oil paints are particularly damaging to the environment. Also acrylics, uh, textiles made from plastics as the fibres can shed and be dispersed into the waterways, resins, aerosols such as spray paint and fixatives, turpentine, solutions for developing photos which usually get yeah. down the drain, fiberglass, rubber cement and paint thinners are all hazards to ourselves and the environment which aren't really considered by the users. No, like they're some of the materials that people use the most that like our institute, like university as an institution focuses on those materials and like you know that's the main sort of options that you have available to you and no one really sort of talks about it there being another option there's like a lack of awareness to just how kind of dangerous they are like oil paints and turpentine they have cadmium i think it is oh yeah it's this um chemical which is can actually cause cancer in humans which is pretty scary stuff also quite a lot of them like aren't vegan as well like they're made from like cr- like colors today are still made from like crushed up bugs and stuff aren't they which yeah. again, yeah. like, you go to buy like tubes of paint especially when it's like cheap paint from like a like i don't know our u- uni art shop you just don't it doesn't even cross your mind a lot of the paints have lead in them still as well and you think by yeah. now that lead would be eradicated yeah because the <laughs> paints that the paints that get sold from china are allowed to have lead in them Whereas here they're not, but people aren't aware of that and they don't read the label. And the labels mm. always say, like, you know, they always have warnings for humans on them, but they never have warnings for the environment on them because that's what people care more about, obviously. But it's just dangerous for children because it's usually, you know, like those paint by numbers and they're really cheap paints and really cheap, like, like powder paint like as well. Yeah, like they tend to, like, um, contain lead. So <laughs> but they can be harmful, like, when you breathe them in or just on the skin. Kids get covered in paint. That's just what's going to happen. Like, there's no mm. way around that. I found quite good, um, like when I was trying to make my natural paints earlier this year, some really good articles, especially ones like it was a lot of like mothers going, oh, I want my kids to be able to paint, but like I don't want them using this or putting this in their mouths. And they've made some really good, like, there's some really good books you can get on making your own stuff. Like, and even, like inks as well like Ooh, yeah. foraging things there's definitely a lot out there and it doesn't like take that long and that can be like part of like the enjoyment whether that's with like your child or just like that can be part of the process of creating something is the the intention of where it's come from also I think it's quite important just to read the label sometimes because mm. I think a lot of people are, like me I'm guilty of this as well like I'll just go and buy 
a colour of paint which I need and not even consider what is inside of it at all. But I have, I've been researching, it is possible to find eco-friendly paints or yeah. more eco-friendly paints and non-toxic as well. So it's always worth like shopping around a bit before you actually buy. I think sometimes it's the knowledge of what you're looking for, because sometimes you can read the ingredients on a pack or something and it could just be a bunch of numbers because it's a chemical and you don't know whether mm. that's bad or not. I think that there needs to be more of an awareness of what is actually bad in the paints. And not just paints, other materials too. So then people can be aware of what they're buying. And especially like as students, it's like, you know, we don't have much money. To, like It's expensive enough studying art to buy materials, let alone like trying to get like good alternatives. So I think they, like institutions like universities need to like sell more options like that in art shops because that's the shop we'd mm. normally go to because it's more affordable. For um, canvas wise uh, and paper wise, mm. you, you can obviously get recyclable, recycled, recycled paper. Yeah. Um, yeah or recycled board but I think that might actually be a bit more expensive so another good alternative is just reusing work previously worked into or going to charity shops and buying like those those terrible disgusting canvas paintings and then (laughs) using that as as your canvas and painting over that or yeah just like, like finding old materials yeah any kind I think we talked about this in the um how we've made it in our own practice but Just finding found objects and stuff, you can definitely get more creative Mm -hmm. with it. I guess as well, it's an important thing to highlight is to to not use materials so, um, I guess, freely. Yeah, like limit your waste and make sure like you're you're only like like intentionally. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Only buying what you need and like what you have, making sure that you look after it. It's like making sure you seal your paints up so that they're not going to just dry out and you have to buy more. Like I'm so bad for that. I think especially with creative things, like when you've been painting all day, the last thing you want to do is clear up, isn't it? You're sort of just like, <laughs> oh, I'll leave it. I'll come back tomorrow, especially if we come back to the studio. But like things dry up and like, you know, <laughs> it does become just a mess of things that like wastes. And, it, and for example, when acrylic dries up, it is literally just like a block of plastic, really. That's what it looks like, and that's what it feels yeah. like. And then it just goes in the bin, and they see that, you know, if it's wet, it gets washed down the um, sink, and if it's dry, it just goes in the bin, and it's always going to end up in the environment somehow. There's no getting yeah. away from that. Especially mm. as, yeah, like, um, because acrylics are allowed to go down, the, like, you know, you're allowed to put them down the sink. Like, they do just, yeah, they go straight into the water. And I read, like, an article recently that said they recently discovered that it doesn't only stay in the water, but like in sea spray, that sprays like <gasps> in the plastic is still in there and sprays like onto coastal towns. Oh my goodness. And like, so then it's in the air and like lands and you're like, what? It's the same with yeah. plastic fibres. I know it's kind of a different topic, but you know, if people are working with textiles for their practice and they're made from polyester, which is practically mm. 100% plastic, the fibres can come off either in the wash or like in the air, like I said earlier, and you can just breathe them in. And they did like an experiment in London to see how many plastic fibres were in the air. And they said they had one of the most places in the world just because of the amount of clothes and people. Like I think about it, like I don't buy new things, but I never think about that, you know, even if you're buying secondhand stuff, things just do come off and like when things peel and come apart. So if people want to start buying more like eco-friendly materials, how do they go about this? Is there anything they need to be aware of? I guess it's always worth being aware of uh, the fact that a lot of companies greenwash. So you can like think that? that greenwashing is where it's like a form of marketing or branding. Mm-hmm. 
where the company's like, oh, you know, I am really eco-friendly. Like, look at look at all my products, which are really green, really like organic, and they're so much better for oh, those like nice covers. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they're exactly. Really pleasing, like. <laughs> yeah, but then it ends up being that yeah, that isn't the case at all, and actually, it's a complete front just to draw you in. I found them. Mm. Um, statistic actually uh quite recently and it said i think it was since 2009 there has been an increase of like 70 percent in like green products in the general like the general thing but they found that 95 percent of these products have been found guilty of greenwashing so not even being sustainable or eco-friendly or environmentally nice at all i think particularly like so many like hair products and fashion projects like fashion brands are so guilty of that it's like all these you know shampoos that just have like this very especially the adverts as well like wow you're so one with nature and like <laughs> and it's just like oh whatever you're like washing down the drain it's massive in fashion do you have anything you wanted to add on that rosa not particularly when we were doing our research i'd never come across the term greenwashing before think maybe it's like a bit less common in the art world i guess because like the art world doesn't even try to pretend it's sustainable it just like completely ignores the problem doesn't it <laughs> most of the time like it, yeah it's a bit more applicable to other industries yeah that's true um i had to do some research into it and but even though i had done an environmental project for one of my last projects i didn't even come across it then but again wow. yeah it's not mentioned a lot in the art world no. at all so I think especially like, you know, in university, no one talks about it when you're making art sustainable. Sometimes you'd be like, oh, why bother? <laughs> and you're just like, yeah, this isn't like the message of my art. It's just like, it's a side product because it, it kind of, I think it should be. I would like to think that more people are becoming aware in general and yeah. like our being part of this population. I'd like to think that we are also becoming more aware of the fact that we need to be sustainable and we need to be careful about what we're choosing, like what materials we're choosing and how we're going about our craft because it's it's so i want to say egotistical but i don't think it is selfish maybe so why do you think the art world in its current state is unsustainable what kind of practices within contemporary art i think one of the main problems is the transporting art around the world or like to different museums or venues i don't think that Mm -hmm. is uh, considered much about and transport is one of the biggest polluters definitely especially because some of these exhibitions are constantly traveling around the world some of them never come home to one place it's just a like an endless cycle and it's like they go from one gallery to another gallery from like london to la to somewhere in europe to asia it's yeah it's very endless completely unnecessary as well yeah it's just like complete again over consumption on the human part and also like we could be more interested in like what the permanent collections like people would they're not interested in what's already there because they're like oh but this is new but it's like does anyone actually end up going to like like appreciating the local ones that much like maybe mm-hmm. but like I think we'd you know get a bit bit deeper into learning about them if there wasn't this big like hurrah yeah again that is a reflection of the human condition at the moment like it's mm. We are interested in big brands and big names and big big identities. So, of course, you want to go and you want to see like the best artists in the world. You want to see like these pieces that everybody knows about. But if you take some time to consider, that's actually quite harmful and quite damaging. And it would be amazing to support local artists and their artworks just as good. It's just not as well known, you know. I think yeah, there just needs to be less of a focus of like being a household name in art like having this huge reach because I think when you go into the art world as well that's kind of sort of 
the only option or people think like that's when you've made it but how many artists are actually household names hardly any and it, recently I realized that you know artists can you know, actually make a living without being a household name and still be very successful in the art world because people would still I guess there still is a problem of like visitors coming though like with the Venice Biennale like it's not just the fact that there's all these works being made it being transported the insurance and the packing mm. and the shipping handling there's yeah. also thousands of visitors descending on a place yeah. and the impact that has just in tourism as well like yeah, yeah with the Venice Biennale it's like it's like the island sinking and yet like no one's going oh we should either you know take apart art fairs and put them some do not do yeah. them or do it somewhere else it's kind of like when the Olympics descends on a place and they <laughs> promise all this change like for this local area that's often quite a poor area and then once the Olympics is moved somewhere else none of the promises like ever get like mm-hmm. yeah, completed it's not, sort of left yeah that's not sustainably planned at all that's not no. like there for the long run that's there for the short duration and then after they've done what they've needed to do they don't care anymore no not at all I think as well like 50 like 20 years ago or something there was about like 50 55 major commercial art fairs and now there's more than 260 and it's great to think that so many more artists are being shown but these aren't just like yeah like small scale things this is like really big names that everyone wants to go to that thousands of people are flying all over the world for it's just so like you said before it is just overconsumption. it is it's also very glamorized like it's mm. quite it's like even for me as a young artist it's appealing because it's like oh wow you know it's networking with so many opportunities you're going to be like showing your art to so many people but at the end of the day what's it worth like what's the cost yeah i was just thinking actually though if massive um say for example now your favorite art piece was only ever in one place and you did travel to see it and loads of other people travel to see it i suppose then that there still would be people going to see it and traveling. Instead of it moving, everyone would be moving to see it. So, I mean, I doubt they've ever considered that, but Mm. I doubt there's ever, like Mona Lisa, for example, that, I know that moves around, but it mainly is in Paris. I I wonder how many people have flown just Mm. to see that. And it's such a small painting as well. I mean, it doesn't need... You could take it in your bag, do you know what I mean? It doesn't require a lot of, like, a massive aeroplane to fly it, but it probably does how a guest places. Yeah, like I guess, I guess it's a bit like that for, um, for like, private collectors. Like, they will have, like, a set collection that they buy and they add to, and I, I might be wrong in this, but in my head, a private collector just kind of has it in their home. Quite often, yeah. Stuff. It's like um, uh-huh. a few hundred years ago when people had much more, you know, very expensive houses, which nowadays you know we go visit to like you know people go to see in the national trust and like there's still these like very like expensive paintings there like imagine just like collecting art it's like it's crazy that that's people's hobbies like spending thousands of pounds on paintings or, like, blood i know or like buying <laughs> um, young artists like some collectors buy up lots of young artists work don't they and like you know in the case if they do become famous like you said before like what is the um you know valuing yourself and becoming like that like it's very glamorous and you want to but you see people's paintings that sell for thousands or millions and like I don't know there's a huge pressure that comes with that but also how do you feel justified that that wealth isn't being shared around people who are just as good as you but 
or better than mm-hmm. you know how we measure, measure how good it is but they just haven't like got that opportunity that like, they haven't had that stroke of luck that you had in um in terms of sustainability with private collectors uh i don't know if you guys know much about it but it's it's honestly terrible like the whole like private jetting around it's like they'll just have like an airplane which will take that one person and pick up some paintings and then go fly it somewhere else and then like also the people that are that are selling the paintings if they are um not using a private jet to get the painting there and back they don't offer any green shipping yeah no no green shipping and packaging as well they don't look into into sustainability and just the cost as well must be huge like with getting the security for it and like because some of these paintings like they're not meant to be moved like lots of curators are like no you should really should or like art historians like you shouldn't be moving this painting it's so fragile and yet they'll just spend thousands more to be like well people want to see it or even like contemporary work like people do you know don't always build things quite what's the word like soundly well structured like it's mm-hmm. just more focused on being like this is what I want it to look like also maybe I want it to be fragile and like the amount of more effort that causes like yeah. the pandemic's made it even more obvious like how like what a divide there is you want to think you know you know we were like oh is the art world going to survive and it's going to fall apart um artists going to make it and it's like well all the big artists will all the big institutions will even if they just scrape by it's the smaller artists yeah. it's community okay. arts it's like individual or like um yeah small festivals and like celebrations that don't get through especially if they don't have a big platform or their only platform was, you know, in person or physical and they've now had to move all their things to digital. That can be a problem for some people. Yeah, what was your experience of, like, everything moving digitally? I mean, personally for me, it was okay because I've usually worked with film and, like, digital photography. So for me, it was kind of... It wasn't a struggle, but for some people I know who aren't as comfortable with using technology they found it really difficult because they had to learn how to use the technology and then apply that to their work yeah so I feel like that took up a lot of time which could have been used on making work really and what about like did you attend these like virtual exhibitions or zoom tours that's sort of what the art world's become at the moment like not particularly the only ones I looked at were like the ones people had put on themselves you know part of the uni or yeah um, you know alternative like there was an exhibition going on oh but now it's digital like we were thinking of doing that as well and spending our money on that but yeah we did I forgot we considered that yeah also just it's hard to get engaged with it isn't it when like people can create these incredible websites or show their work in really interesting ways but because it's on a screen it's like you know especially in lockdown you've had enough screen time and like the one of the best bits of a gallery is going there to be like this is a time I'm going to relax and be with this art but if you're on the laptop there's all these other distractions you don't really get into the context in the same way yeah you can't get in the space properly no I guess I guess this is actually probably why people do go and fly to see their favorite paintings because they want to experience it completely fully which is fair enough now yeah and the same with like installations I mean you know if you're an installation artist or rely on um public interaction yeah or, you know that sort of practice you really I mean yeah you can do it online but it's not the same you know people's practices like that are going to completely change if it continued yeah but also you don't need you don't need to be like 
submitting to the man. You don't have to be like taking your art to these big institutions where you're going to have to pay loads to have your art shown. Like I was approached over lockdown. I was approached by a curator in, there's a really nice place in Italy, Milan. Oh yeah. So, was, so from my Instagram, because I've been building up my portfolio online through lockdown yeah. to that kind of communication with, with the, mm-hmm. um, the audience. And I was approached by, yes, this curator. And she said that she's really interested in my work. Would I like to come and show my work in Milan? I'd have to pay 300 euros to exhibit one piece. What? That is ridiculous. (laughs) It's just because of the name Milan, though. I literally think it's just because you would have the opportunity to say, my work has been shown in Milan, as if it's like this massive honour. Like, honestly, you could just put it on the street. Exactly. It was in Milan. <laughs> and say, this is in Milan. It's, that's actually... That's it is just cool. like going on your CV, isn't it? It's so bad that... Yeah. Especially when you have talks at uni, they're like, oh, one of the best things you can do is show outside of where you are, show new places, even if, yeah, it's not in a gallery, like it's doing an outdoor exhibition. And it's like, it shouldn't be trying to make up these sort of falsehoods about what you're doing. <laughs> and yet that's the way they're like, this is the way to make it. <laughs> can either of you see a future for yourself in the art world? Sometimes I think so, yeah, because of the things I've been interested in recently. Like, I've been looking more at, like, sustainable ways of creating art and using environmental aspects and, like, looking at land art, but also mixing technology with land art. Okay. Just trying to be sustainable within art. A recent exhibition I went to was all outside, and it all featured different artwork, like land art outside, um, all the way down a, a valley and you had a map and you had to go and find each artwork but each was like a piece of artwork that would disappear with time and also like I was just saying they had like a QR code at each site then you could scan that and learn about the artists and like how is it how it's environmentally um, sustainable but that moved around different valleys like that um, exhibition and went to Italy and then it, it was in Switzerland so like it does move around valleys once it disappears so they just keep redoing it Wow. Um, so I thought that was really good. Um and also it got people out into the environment. Um it got mm. people out walking and in surroundings and they wanted to go and find the artwork. So I thought that was a really good idea for like future projects. Actually gets people outside and like doing and like yeah, seeing art in a more playful way. It sounds more organically shown as well. Like I can get like something I'm interested in as well is just like being able to go on your nice walk and then manage to find an artist I feel like that's a, that's like a way that art should be should be used is by the, the wider society and wider community not just the white kind of cube where mm. people who are interested in art are going to go and like seek out art it's like it's kind of like the art found you instead yeah do you see a future for yourself in the art world Rosa or do you think you'll do do you want to do more community-based things or do you want to do art after uni well, my idea was to teach art at foundation level. I mean, yeah. for three years, I'd like to travel and get more experience and more inspiration with certain things. And I might come back and realise I actually want nothing to do with it. But it'll always be a hobby and it'll always be something that I do in my spare time. But whether I'm, I see a career for myself in it, I don't know. Because I feel like it requires a lot of dedication and commitment. And it really time consuming for something that might not get anyway I feel yeah 
but I feel like with teaching I always loved education and loved being in school environment so for me teaching art would be the best pathway because I get to carry on with art and in my spare time I can have studio space which is basically a classroom but Mm -hmm. I've still got space to keep my work and my things so that's probably what I'll end up doing. Yeah and you're so like engaging in the art world then aren't you because you're having these conversations I think one of the main parts of keeping like your creativity going is being able to have conversations with other creative people. And also educating like the next generation of artists almost I mean I know it's only on a very very scale because I'll probably have a class of 20 you know teaching them about the things I learned in uni and the things I've learned you know through travels and things I feel like that is important because I learned a lot from my art teachers about yeah things that I'm interested in now so I think I want to do that for people too yeah Yeah, definitely like having our men like mentors or tutors at university is like one been one of the biggest things that's helped me like in my creative practice for sure definitely what about you Katie do you see yourself within the art world in the future I don't know I feel in some ways yes in some ways I think especially after uni I will try and do things I guess like yeah in the art world but on a smaller scale I I really want to travel and I'd like to go live in Spain for a bit and do creative projects there like finding a balance between community focused stuff and like yeah educating and workshops and things with my own practice as well and I think yeah similarly I would quite like to teach art foundation potentially later on yeah I think there's so many options in it you're like I don't know quite which one of them I'm gonna go down or how many of them you can go down at once you know and you have so many ideas you're like oh this one I can just do in later life I'm like oh I'd really love to make drawing ceramics but maybe not now maybe when I'm 45 (laughs) like loads of time (laughs) yeah yeah we've got plenty of time yeah I think I definitely whatever that is I'd want to be part of always going to be making art what about you Esme (laughs) so I also really wanted to be a teacher like I love skill sharing and Mm. kind of seeing potential in people and like trying to work like like wiggle like art potential out of people and the creativity and kind of like for me, my art practice and my art teachers as well have very much helped me understand the world around me in so many, so many different ways and so many important ways. So for me, like that's something I really want to be able to share with people. And then you also have that community aspect as, as well, like that intimate aspect where you're sharing with a group of people, like, you know, a way of a different way of seeing things and a different way of, of mm. expressing yourself. But in terms of like <laughs> the whole art world with the big galleries and the expensive flashy pieces and the private collectors. Really Not that, that world, no. <laughs> no thank you. <laughs> I think maybe yeah, small galleries or small like publishing houses and stuff. Like I've really into this year. I've always done a lot of photography, but I've got a much more into like experimental writing and publications definitely interest me if that's like on a small scale. But yeah. Anything else you two wanted to add before we leave it? Not particularly. I think we've covered a lot of um, good points there, to be honest. Me too. I think these ideas aren't necessarily all new, but they're particularly vital now more than ever. And we really do need to put these changes in place on a larger scale. If you enjoyed this episode, it would be amazing if you could subscribe and stay up to date on our social media. Our next episode, which will be released next Tuesday, will feature Esme again. 
and um, another one of our founding members, Meg. Uh, we will be discussing the, main, the many ways you can create art, from your initial ideas to a completed project or piece. We will be drawing on our own experiences as young artists and the different approaches we all have to creativity. Have a great week and see you soon. <laughs>